Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you bless this time as we open the word and you guide and lead us as we look at this chapter in Numbers and, and your spirit will lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Numbers chapter 24. We're going to continue the story of Balaam and remember in the previous chapter, Balaam has blessed Israel twice already and Balak hired him to curse them. Balak has taken him to a high, high mountain, and they offered the sacrifices, seven sacrifices on seven altars. Again, Balaam is kind of leading him along, trying to make him think that maybe God will change his mind all along because Balaam wants the reward that Balak has promised. Balak has promised to give him great honor and promotion if he'll just curse Israel. So, chapter 24. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel bidding, abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up this parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance and having his eyes open. How goodly are the tents of Jacob and your tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are they spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as trees of ling aloes, which the Lord has planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt, and he has, as it were, the strength of the unicorn. He, has, he shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched them, and laid, he lay down as a lion, as a great lion, who shall stir himself up. Blessed is he that blesses thee, and cursed is he that curses you. So we look at this. Balaam is at a high place. And remember, at the very beginning of Numbers, we talked about the way that Israel was aligned in their camps, as seen from up high, would form a cross. Okay? So when Balaam and Balak look down from this high place where they can see the majority of, of Israel, they're beginning to see the cross out there. Now, how defined it was is another story altogether, but it would be long, much longer on one side and shorter on the other three because of the number of people. It might have been rounded off. I don't know. You know they, I'm sure they didn't square off the, the cross. But the cross is being represented. When God looks down on Israel in their encampment, he sees the cross. He sees the, what Jesus is going to do. Balaam has, gets ready to go to God. And remember, every time before they offered the offerings, he told Balak, stay here and I will go talk to God and, and perhaps maybe he'll, you know, give me what he wants. This time he doesn't even go to God. He just, he just, he finally is coming to the realization God is not going to curse them. He said he's going to bless them and this time he doesn't go. <laughs> okay. And that's what it says. He did not go as the other times to seek enchantments or seek a different word. And it says, Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in the tents. He looked down and for once he's starting to see them the way God sees them. And this is an important thing for us. 
we've, we've talked about this quite often in times. Do we see each other the way God sees, sees us? Do we even see ourselves the way God sees us? Yeah, and we don't usually. Paul says, I've determined to know no man after the flesh. Paul did not want to know the past sins and, and even the current sins of the individuals that he dealt with. He wanted to deal with them as in Christ. And when we are in Christ, God sees us as perfect. We need to start seeing each other in the way God sees us. And specifically, we need to start by seeing ourselves that way, because if we can't see ourselves that way, we're not going to see others that way. Because we as fleshly beings always want to judge others. And if we can't really get to where we see ourselves the way God says, we're never going to be able to see people the way God sees them. And this is an important fact. God wants us to love others. He wants us to forgive others. He wants us to forgive them like he forgives. Yes. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm not going to forgive them until they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. Well, then you're never going to forgive most people because most people aren't going to say, I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. And you know what? We should be very glad that God didn't treat us that way. Right. I'm not sending my son to die until these people finally admit that they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. No, he goes, I'm going to provide the forgiveness. I'm going to forgive you. And now I'm going to try to call you to myself. And if we start learning to forgive one another, to love one another, to see each other after the cross and through the forgiveness of Christ, what a difference that will make in the way we deal with people. Because it won't be, I'm waiting for them to seek forgiveness. I'm waiting for them to to turn around, it'll be, I'm just going to show them God's love and invite them to come to Christ and be, come, get, get right. Because when we are saved, God sees us as perfect. The first step of salvation is justification. God declares from the throne of heaven that we're perfect. And we go, well, we're not perfect. Nobody I know is perfect. You're right, we're not. But God in heaven has declared we are perfect. And if we can start seeing other Christians in what God declares them to be, it will change the way we react one, one to another. Because if we're going to say, okay, God says they're perfect. He can overlook their sins. I need to learn to be able to do that because I need to love his people. And we start loving people and loving them and showing them grace Grace wins the heart. We change with God because of his grace, not because of his laws. When we're piled up on laws and we put rules on one another, the flesh says, no, I'm not going to live by these rules. And that's true for all of us to, to a greater or lesser extent. All of us rebel when rules are put on us. And if you don't believe it, how fast do you drive on the highway? Do you go exactly the speed limit? I don't. How much will you twist the truth? How do you look at people? Do you look at them the way God says to look at them? Do you, are you honest? Are you before God worshiping on him? Are you 100% in your, in your giving the way God wants you to give? Not necessarily just the rule of a tithe. Okay, but are you giving the way God has asked you to give? And all these things are important. It shows us who we are and what we do. But we start giving grace. And a lot of people will say, well, if I forgive people and they're not asking, then I'm just 
ignoring their sin and, and pretending it doesn't exist. No, you're showing God's love to a person. And if they want to sin, they're going to sin anyway. Whether I accept it or not. But how many times have you finally gotten around to want to forgive somebody and they didn't even know that they had hurt you? You know, and this doesn't mean we go up to everybody and say, I forgive you. You know, because number one, they may not know that they've done anything that hurts you, but you forgive. And when we forgive, we're not going to bring it up with the person. We're not going to attack that person. We're not going to tell other people about that person to tear them down. And this is, because I listened to this just recently on the radio, this one person was talking about why do we tell the stories of what others have done so that we can somehow how hurt their reputation? Even if somebody doesn't know them, we, we get this mind that we're hurting their reputation. If they get to know them, they'll, they'll, this will be hurtful to them. That is not the way we should be doing. And this is not a good thing for us as Christians. It's not, there's no forgiveness. And we're not showing that we've forgiven somebody. We're trying to tear them down. We're trying to hurt them. We're trying to make ourselves look better in somebody's eyes by tearing down somebody who hurt us, whether they know the individual or not. When we tell those stories, that's what we're trying to do is make my, you know, look how just I am because I didn't, you know, send them to jail or I didn't, I didn't knock them, you know, knock their teeth out. You know, I was, I was really kind to them, but they really deserved it. And we tear them down and make our, to make ourselves look better. And God is saying, just leave it alone. When God forgives us, he does not come back and say, oh, by the way, you remember 10 years ago when you did this and five years ago when you did this, he brings us back and he doesn't even make us, and I've said this over and over, when we fall, he doesn't come back and say, okay, you've got to start on step one again. He picks us up and puts us right back where we fell from and said, here's my grace. You didn't deserve it when you fell, and you don't deserve it now, but I'm putting you right back where you fell from because you didn't deserve it. Okay? If we start looking at people in the finished work of Christ, that Christ has finished the work and they are perfect because God declares they're perfect, oh, does that change the way we are to deal with one another? Because we are to love one another. We're to cover their sin and not speak of their sin. We're to cover their sin and not make them feel bad about having fallen, just as God does for us. And here, Balaam is seeing the, seeing the people, and he's finally getting it through his head. God is not going to curse these people. <laughs> he's not going to curse the people that he has said are his. And we need to be able to get that same point as we deal one with another and we bless one another not try to curse one another because God's not going to curse his people. No matter what we say, he's not going to curse his people. And if we judge them, God's going to judge us for, for what we're judging them about. Yep. And it's going to be worse because he's judging us for judging them and he's going to turn back and say, oh, you want to judge my people? Let me show you what, they're, what they deserve. And you get back what, what you're judging for as well. And... God can deal with his people. And it is so important for us to understand, God will judge his family. He will punish his children. But not in the way we want to be judged and punished. And this is why it's critical for us to just, we give grace. 
Now, if it's somebody who we know really well and has invited us to be part of their life, we can go in there and say, you know, you're not making very good decisions here according to the word of God. But then we drop it. We're not condemning them. We're not, you know, we're trying to show them you need to make a better, you know, this is what God says about things. But it needs to be gentle. It needs to be in love. And as I've said a couple of times already, if you're not praying for them, you better keep your mouth shut, period. Because you don't love them enough to even pray for them. You definitely don't have any right to say anything about what they're doing wrong. Because you don't care enough to pray for them. And this is critical. Because God is saying, love. Love is what's going to win out. And God's love for us doesn't mean he ignores our sin. It doesn't mean that he winks at our sin and says it's okay. He's judged our sin in Jesus Christ. When we sin, we will reap the consequences of our sin by the natural laws of sowing and reaping. You do wrong, you will get the reward for doing wrong, which is not a reward, it's a punishment. But technically, it's still a reward. You sowed and you get back what you sowed. It's not because God's standing there with a big baseball bat pounding you over the head for everything wrong you've done. He's up there loving you and wanting you to turn around and care but he's put a rule in place. You reap what you sow. And we're going to see a big thing in Balaam here as he reaps what he sows later on. And it says he took up this parable. Balaam, the son of Beor, has said that the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said in his, and heard the words of God and saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance and having his eyes open. So he's starting to see Israel the way God sees is basically what he's saying. It's very poetic language, but he's saying... I, I'm seeing what God is seeing. I don't understand. <clears throat> Balaam is, is in a land of people that God despises. Oh, May, Balaam is a Midianite. But he's in a land of, he's a prophet. He's a prophet of the, tri, of the Midianite people and Balaam sent a Balak called and brought Balaam to him. But he's not a godly man. Mm, he speaks to God and God talks to him. Yeah, that's what I'm not collecting here. And I, I made it a statement when I didn't mean it. I meant it as a question. Balaam is like any other servant of God. There's times when they're doing right and there's times when they're doing wrong. In this particular case, remember what Balak has promised him. If you will come and curse these people, I will make you great and wealthy. And Balaam's pride, flesh, uh, desires are, that sounds good to me. You know, I'm only getting so much money from this cursing and blessing business. You know, and this guy is going to make me, basically he said he's going to make him a prince. Okay, he's going to be a ruler just for cursing Israel. Okay, now he went to God and talked to God on, on certain, you know, the two occasions. And God said, don't go. And then if you remember, the second time God said, you can go if they ask you, ask you to go. And the next sentence is that he got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went. Just a little phrase missing. They didn't ask. Oh, oh. Okay. okay. They didn't re-ask him in the morning by, by what we're told. It was, 
God said, if they, if they call you in the morning, you can go. And the next phrase says, he got up in the morning and, and, and left. Okay, so he's just saying, I'm going to go get this money, basically. And basically saying, God, you gave me permission. And he just forgot the little phrase in, if they ask. All right, so he is doing, he's being presumptuous as many followers of God do. I'm going to do what I want to do and God will bless it because I'm one of his followers. Okay, and that's basically what Balaam has said from the beginning. Now, he does tell Balak, I can only say what God tells me to say uh, after he's had his encounter with the angel and his donkey talking to him. You know, and he kind of gets through his head finally, oh, I'm not been, I've not been a very good follower. Okay, but his pride, his desire for wealth has taken over. And we've got to be careful judging Balaam because we do the same things all the time. I'm not judging. Uh, yeah, I you just know. didn't understand him at all. Is he a good, one of the good guys? or Who he blesses is blessed and who he curses is cursed. Yeah, right. God has been talking to him. I mean, it's not him that's blessing people and it's not right. him that's cursing people. He's listened to God. He's gone to God. He's made the offerings. And when God says to bless them, they blesses. Curses, he curses. And God follows through. So he has some relationship with God that is fairly strong. Okay, God talks to him. And God has talked to him all the way through here. But on the other hand, poverty, somebody else said in here, I think it was Solomon, about being too poor or too rich. Poverty makes all of us mm -hmm. strength, uh, susceptible. Yeah. This sounded really good to a poor man. And I don't know how poor he was, but it, what he's being offered is... He was poor. What he's being offered is attractive to him. Yes. Okay? And he is willing to push the envelope with God to try to get God to agree that he can be made wealthy by doing this. But again, all of us have done at some point in our life, we've either walked a path that God said, Did not, do not walk, or rejected walking down a path that we knew God wanted us to and fought him tooth and nail in either direction. And so we want to be careful when we look at somebody like this, and Balaam is going to prove to be not so nice a guy. Okay, But he is from the Midianite lineage. The Midianites do worship, did worship one God. And so they're worshiping the right God. Okay, And they're part of the group that is is later on going to be the, the spiritual advisors to Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? They are the wise men. They are the magis from that whole area of Midian that worship one God. And David, Daniel is going to influence them greatly during his reign as the head of the magi, okay? Is Jethro Midianite? Yes. Okay. They really got spread out then, didn't they? The Midianites are in that southwestern, uh, nor northwest, eastern part of what is now Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And, and right in that area. So, uh, But the Midianites were followers of the one God. And so he is a follower of God. He's, is he the best follower of God? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he's not a real good example of them, but that that tribe is going to morph into the 
into the advisors to the Babylonian Empire. They're going to be the wise men, the magi. They are the power behind all of those kings. They are going to be the descendants of the magi who come to worship Jesus in Bethlehem. Okay, There are many of them that are great followers of God without being part of the Hebrew family. We're talking about the same time frame here and understanding Jethro and the fact that he was devoutly dedicated to God mm -hmm. helps understand Balaam and the fact that Balaam's just like all other followers of God. Balaam was make, a man make some like good him. Make some good decisions, make some bad decisions. Yeah. And we're going to see the, the worst of his decisions coming. I'm sorry. So, so Balaam's finally starting to see from, through God's eyes. So in verse 5 he says, How goodly are the tents of Jacob and the tabernacles of Israel. As the valleys are spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as trees of aloe, as the Lord, which the Lord has planted, and as cedar beside the waters, so he's seeing them in their beauty, you know, in the beauty that God sees them. Mm -hmm. All right, they're a great garden in God's eyes. They're uh, aloe, aloe plants. They're cedar trees. You know, they're they've got all the beauty of a garden that he's starting to see them. Verse seven: He shall pour the out the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. And his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. So he's really, this is, this is quite a blessing he's putting on them. Agag is the king that has been destroyed already from the Amorites. He was a mighty king in that area. And so he's going to say, he's going to be, by, he's going to be mightier than this king that they just destroyed. They're going to, he's pouring the water on to keep them watered, and the seeds are being spread in the water. They're going to grow, they're going to spread. And God is giving them, planting his garden. Yeah. This should be enough to scare anybody. You know, this, this is a God who, you know, they're not, they don't know necessarily about this God, but they, they know that this is the God that defeated Egypt and all of her gods and destroyed the economy, destroyed the army, beat up all the gods through the ten plagues. And we, when we were doing the ten plagues, we talked about how it was really the battle of the gods. He's destroyed the Nile, which had the, the god of the Nile and the god of the fish and the god of the crocodiles and all these other things that were part of that. He, he controlled the flies, which were another set of God. He controlled, you know, all the things that God did. Every one of those was a direct blow against a god of, or more than one god of Egypt. So God has defeated all the gods of Egypt. Egypt was the powerful empire He's destroyed, that God has destroyed, the Israelites' God has destroyed their economy, destroyed their army, destroyed their gods, and now they're wandering around the desert getting ready to go into Canaan, the land of, the promised land. Yeah, and the fact is that the people did not do that. God himself alone did it. Right, and the people know this. Uh -huh. Everywhere they're going, the people are afraid of the Israelites, not because they're this mighty, strong army, but what their God mm -hmm. did in Egypt. And he split the Red Sea wide open and let them walk on there. And they've been wandering around this desert with three and a half million people not starving to death and, and not running out of water. All right? So not only has he done miracles, he is doing miracles. Because mm -hmm. yeah. these people went in small groups around you. Because when you found an oasis, you couldn't feed, you couldn't water 300 and, you know, three, three million, three and a half million people on an oasis. 
You could take maybe a large family of 20, 30, 40, 50 maybe, maybe even 100, but not three and a half million people. And they've been wandering around this desert for 40 years and there's still three and a half million of them. This is something that they're looking at and saying, miracle. They're not dying out. Miracles. How are they doing this? It must be, must be this God of theirs that kept them, that did all those miracles in Egypt is still with them. And they're always worried about them. And we see that even when they're coming into Rahab, when they finally do come into the promised land, says, yeah, we've heard about you. We, everybody's afraid of you. You know, how, how bold are you going to get when you know that the people that you think you can't conquer are afraid of you? We look at the story of Gideon when he's getting ready to attack with the 300 and he sneaks down. God tells him to go ahead and sneak down and hear what they're saying. And they're going, yeah, we had this dream of us being destroyed and it's nothing but the sword of Gideon. <laughs> you know, they're terrified and Gideon's hearing this. Okay, the people of that area knew about God's power. They didn't understand it. They always hoped that maybe their gods were going to be a little stronger than the Egyptian gods. But they're always in terror of this God who's wiped out a people, kept his people alive in the, in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, and they didn't die of starvation and thirst or run out of clothes or whatever else there might be. And there's this fear. Balaam is seeing the children of Israel, and he's telling Balak, you don't stand a chance. They're, they're God's garden. They're God's garden. <coughs> then he goes, and the God, God brought them forth from Egypt as if he needed to be reminded. And it, he has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. And remember, we talked about unicorn last week, that this was some form of large extinct animal, you know, from either a, a, one of the large extinct rhinoceros to, I love the, the picture that Julius Caesar gave of these oxen that were the size of elephant. I wouldn't know that I would want to see one that just couldn't be tamed. And this is another one of those ideas. So this is an animal that is kind of feared. You know, it's just like when Job, when God's talking to Job and he says, remember behemoth. You know, which is very clearly a picture of a dinosaur when you re really look at it with open eyes, or Leviathan, the, the sea serpents. <laughs> so, and here's something of that same type of animal. So big, so cannot be tamed. And then, if that wasn't enough, he says, the, 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 that, uh, he shall eat up the nations of his enemies and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. He's crouched, he lays down like a lion as the great lion who shall stir him? Blessed is he that blesses you, and cursed is he that curses you. So if the unicorn wasn't a big enough, or the, uh, you know, the giant ox, it goes, and by the way, this god is like a lion. And a lion, in that day, was a very feared animal. You know, when the animal, when the lion attacked a man, it was something that was not going to be overcome easily. You know how it says he went, the animal went down? Crouched. Crouched. I watched that big white dog of mine. And when <laughs> she is on what she feels like is watch, she goes down on her haunches and she then goes down all the way and she's all the time she's ready to pounce. Ready to pounce and move. And till she then she finally lays down the last move. Yeah. 
So it's funny how you can see this lion doing what she does. Oh yeah, and lions will do that. If you watch the lions on the show, on the on the mm-hmm. you know the science shows, they've got that ready to launch. Yes. And when they launch, they're out with their claws, and the power and the power there. And this is saying, this is this is their god. And you notice he reminded him about Egypt. <laughs> You know, he's the one that took them out of Egypt. He's the one that's going to be their guard. He's going to keep them. He's the lion. He's their lion. He's their protector. He's the, you know, all these words. And then he goes at the last statement, which should sound very familiar. Blessed is he who blesses thee, and cursed is he that curses thee. Abraham's statements coming out of Balaam's mouth. And verse 10, and Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, uh, Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together, and Balak said unto Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have altogether blessed them these three times, therefore flee you to your place, I thought to promote you to great honor, but lo, the Lord has kept you back from honor. You can hear the frustration in Balak's voice, okay? Balak is angry, and it says he smote his hands. He, he clapped them, and I'm sure he made as much noise with that. You know, his frustration level is there, and he's, rather than smack Balaam, he you know, crashes his hands together you know, to make a loud noise, and probably gloved because he's ready for battle. So this is not just to bare hands, I don't think. This is probably his gauntlet that he's crashing together, and yelling at him you know I hired you to curse these people and you've blessed them three times and in his mind is who you bless is blessed and who you curse is cursed so he is angry talk about a man who needs to get acquainted with God (laughs) you don't tell God anything (laughs) and then he says run flee Get out of here because I'm ready to take, basically he's telling him, I'm ready to take your head. Get out of here as fast as you can. Okay, because he doesn't really say it that way, but you can hear it in his voice. Run. (laughs) You know, you've blessed my enemy three times. I hired you to curse them. I'm ready to take your head off. Run. He goes, I was ready to promote you. And he says, promote you to great honor. And this is what we talked about. This is what really drew Balaam away from God on this is that he was ready his great honor he was going to raise him up in an honorable position he was going to pile him with wealth and he says and your God kept you away from this Hmm. your God kept you from being blessed as if the God couldn't have blessed him in the first place but again Balak is still we've talked about this Balak does not fully understand this idea of a God who you're answerable to completely because we've often mentioned this, when you've made up your own religion, you're worshiping idols, things change to the whim of people. And isn't Balak a God himself as ruler of these people? I don't know if it was in his case. I, I won't say yes, I won't say no on this one. He's worshiping Balaam and Ashtoreth and, and those, so he, but he is not used to this idea of an all-powerful God that will, you could only do what they say because if you didn't like the answer from one God you'd go to the next God and you'd go to the next God until you got the answer that you wanted and and or bought the answer uh-huh. <laughs> because you, none of them were real gods so the, prof, the priest would say whatever whatever wanted to, whatever you wanted to say and and we talked about how people 
in our day and age will kind of mismatch, you know, mix and match their religions and come up with the thing that they feel comfortable with. I can live with this one. I picked the best. I picked all the parts I like out of all these different religions, and this is my religion. I'm a I'm a a, a Zen Buddhist uh, Hindu <laughs> Muslim. <laughs> Enough truth to keep people interested. And the sad thing is, they're not saying, I am, right there is his name, I am a jealous God. Yeah. But they're not going to care about that so much. It's so horrible. Yep. But we as humans like to do that. We like to create our own religion, and Christians do it all the time, too. You know, quote unquote Christians. Well, I like this part of the Bible. I like this part of the Bible. I'm not reading this part because I don't like it. I'm, I, I like this part of the Bible. I like this part of the Bible. Instead of taking it as they whole that it is, they pick and choose what to believe. But it's going to get us into trouble. Later. Always. Yeah. Always. All right. And then Balaam said to Balak, Spoke I not also to your messages when you, that you sent to me, saying, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own hand. But what the Lord says, that I will speak. And now behold, I, I go unto my people. Come therefore, and I will ad- advertise you what, the people, what this people shall do to your people in the later days. All right, so he's basically saying... Okay, now I'm going to be the prophet. I'm going to be the prophet. I told you that I could only say what God said. And now I'm going to advertise or advise what's going to happen in the future, basically prophesy. And we're going to look at some some of this. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, and he has said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High which saw the visions of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Again, he's going back into this very poetic language of seeing through God's eyes that he talked about before. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. Then there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. All right, so this is talking about Jesus. This is actually going all the way to the end times when he's going to rule, when Jesus is going to rule, and he's going to destroy all the opponents. Okay? And so we're going to see this. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. In other words, they're going to they're gonna knock all you guys out. Mm-hmm. You know, Edom, you think you're important. He's not letting you take him yet. Because remember, they were told not to enter Edom at this point. Because Edom belongs to Lot's family. And they're not allowed to touch Seir because that belongs to Ishmael's family. And he's saying, but Israel will and eventually do valiantly. They will conquer all these territories. Is Edom Lot's family, or is Edom Esau's family? Esau, you're right, Esau. But anyway, still part of the family. And God said, no, you're not allowed to go in there. You're not allowed to go into Edom. You're not going to destroy them. And so, but but here, 
Balaam is getting in a prophecy that eventually God's going to take them and conquer them as well. Mm -hmm. David starts that process. Solomon finishes it. Solomon, Solomon was the only time that Israel had most of the land that it was supposed to possess from Euphrates to the Mediterranean down to Egypt. Okay, Solomon is the only one that had all of their possession until Jesus comes along mm -hmm. in the second coming. So, but he's saying, this is, this is what's going to happen. We've got this coming. And then it says, out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remains in the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall, shall be that he shall perish forever. And he looked on the Kenites and took up this parable and said, strong is your dwelling place, and you put your, ne your nest on the rock. Nevertheless, the Kenites shall be wasted until Asher shall carry you away captive. And he took this parable again and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? The ship shall come to the coast of Shittim, and shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. Okay? So Moses is giving him, you know, you think you have problems, all of you are going to be taken over by Israel. Okay? He's giving an ultimate blessing on Israel. All right? And it says Balak left, and then uh, Balaam left, and then Balak left. You know, Balak's kind of distur disturbed. He didn't want to fight them anyway because he was worried about them, and now they've been blessed three times. Mm -hmm by somebody he knows when he blesses, they are blessed. And he is seeing the fertility because the, the, the future has been foretold to him that this whole area belongs to Israel. You're not, you're not going, none of you are gonna survive. Mm. Now, we're gonna look at one thing that's not mentioned here yet, okay? Balaam did something beyond what is recorded at this spot. We're going to turn to Numbers 31, and we'll go to there later on, but I just want to bring this out. 31, verse 15. Uh, let's start at 13. And Moses and Eliezer the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp, and this is after a battle. And Moses was angry with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Why have you saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the nations of the Lord. This is going to be referred to in the New Testament and especially in Revelation as the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam told Balak how to destroy Israel and make Israel hurt themselves. And his advice to them, we're gonna, we see in other verses in the New Testament was, send your women into the men and have them get married and, and, and or commit fornication with them and lead them astray. Send your men in to get their daughters and lead them astray. Okay? And so Balaam has told Balak, and he's going to get the reward, and we see this, you know, this is the oblique reference to it that we have. But we know later on it was the fornication. 
And this has been a problem all through the scriptures. Solomon was led astray because he married foreign wives and wanted to make them happy. Because it's told to us that they went to him and said, you know, we have no temple to worship. You've got your temple. We would like to worship our gods. So he built temples for their gods. Mm-hmm. And then you know darn well that what they came is, well, you know, Solomon, honey, uh, you know, you should come and worship with us once, you know, sometime. You know, you're, you know, you're always going to your god. You know, why don't you come to ours? And before we know it, we see Solomon leaving God behind because of the unequal yoke drawing him away. And all through the scriptures, we see that same principle over and over and over again. And even in today's world, you know, when somebody says, you know, well, God's leading me to get married to this unsaved person, no, your emotions and your flesh are. Because 999 times out of 1,000, this Christian is pulled down. One time, maybe in a thousand, you pull that lost person up to your level. But most of the time, it is a downward trend. Mm-hmm. Balaam said, you want to get these people, you want, to get, you want to get their God mad at them? You go send your people in and you draw them into idolatry. You send your girls, your, your pretty girls in and, and draw them into the idolatry of their, of their gods. You send your guys in and get the girls committed to, their, to your gods, and their god will curse them. And that's exactly what happened over and over again. God took the people when they went against him and said, okay, fine, I'm going to punish you. And here we see Balaam, there's the example. You know, What's that called again? Huh? It's the, the doctrine Balaam. of Balaam. Doctrine of Balaam. Oh, Balak, I thought. Balaam. Doctrine of Balaam, and that's what it talks about in Revelation. When God in one of the three letters, and I can't remember which church it is off the top of my head, but God says they follow the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam told Balak how to get God to curse the people. Oh, and it's hard, it gets confusing when you've got Balaam and Balak. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's similar. So they're very similar, very similar sounding. Balaam wanted the cursing, and so Balak told him how to, okay. Yeah, Uh, Balaam told Balak how to bring the people down by having their God curse them. He goes, God won't curse, God won't allow me to curse them, but if you want them to be cursed, get them to follow your gods, and their their God will punish. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of a, backward curse, but it, it worked because the people, as, as Moses said, it caused a plague. It caused, you know, it cost people's lives because of what Balaam advised. How did it cause a plague? Because God sent it to God punish. sent a plague to punish them. You're, you've turned away from me, I'm going to give you a punishment. Mm-hmm. And so it worked, the plague hit, and we see this, if you remember, they were getting rid of the foreign wives. And remember the time when Eliezer, when God, Moses called people telling them to get rid of these wives and, they, and this one person brought his foreign wife. Basically, they were fooling around in front of everybody and, and, and uh, Eliezer drove the spear right through them, pinning them to the ground. 
because the plague was coming through and God held, stopped the plague because of Eliezer's uh, obedience, obedience to, to him and, and his uh, zealous, zealous protection of God. And God stopped the plague because of wow. what he did. Okay. We're, getting, we're saying get rid of and you're bringing, you're bringing this person right in the middle of, of what we're trying to say stop. Balaam still, I don't know what he was paid for this, you know, this advice, if anything, but, you know, he did cause great damage to the Israelites by telling them how to make their God angry with them. So you understand how he understood God. He understood that if you turned against God, that God would cause judgment. And this is what he told Balak. And there are several places in the New Testament where it talks about the doctrine of Balaam. So Balaam worked hard to destroy Israel in spite of the blessing that he had given them from God. He gave Balak the way to destroy them. Now whether he told him before he left or he sent a message saying, hey, you know, Balak, if you really want to destroy him, this is the way you do it. You know, or it might have been, hey, you know, I've got a way that you can destroy him. If you give me a little bit of money, I'll tell you how you can, how you can actually get them their God angry at them. What I don't understand, though, because of my own hard attitude, here is a man who is a servant of God. If you're a servant of God, you have to know those are his chosen people, even if you don't understand why they're chosen. And to go to such lengths to destroy God's chosen and be God's man. I don't comprehend. Well, let's make it more practical for you, Anne. How many pastors have you heard about who have fallen from their church because of illicit affairs that are more important than serving God? And they finally get caught. Many of them. Many, many of these guys, great preachers, great pastors, great, great servants of God, but... They give in to the lust and, and seem to be getting away with it for a while, commit adultery, fornication, and God says eventually it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. It will be, it will come out. You either confess it to him or he will shout it from the rooftop. And the higher your position, the more loudly that shout has to be. If you're a nobody, then all, you know, your sin will be known to a handful of your friends. If you are somebody with a high-profile position and thinking that you can get away with it, God will. Jimmy Swaggart, very strong, large, large thing, but doing that same thing, you know, committing adultery with multiple people. And God basically probably said, you're going to confess, you're going to confess, you're going to confess. Okay, no, fine. <laughs> your, your, your sin is going to be known to millions of people. But that's exactly it. The more high profile you are in God's kingdom and you want to sin, be ready to be Mm -hmm. very much embarrassed to a large group of people. Mm -hmm. Now it's one thing just to be a little lowly, you know, I sit in the pew and I'm and I'm doing things wrong. You know, yes, there's gonna be certain people that know, but if you represent God and you're really trying to you know, saying you're a man of God or a woman of God and you're trying to live in sin, your words will be made known. Balaam, Balaam is famous for, for his distri- lie and, and pulling of, of Israel down. And we're going to see in a few chapters that he gets killed. Okay, and they make a big deal out of it. He died because of what he did. 
Okay, they, they killed him by the sword. So we're going to see all of this coming back. I mean, we reap what we sow, and we reap it to the level that we sowed it and, we, and more, because you always reap more than you sow. And so we want to be careful how critical we are of Balaam, because yes, Balaam was not the great, you know, was not the greatest prophet of all the prophets, but he still was speaking for God. He knew God, and God got after him. We look at the same thing. Think about Jonah. Jonah was is well known, and you think about Jonah's message when he finally did go to Nineveh. <laughs> Okay, after running away from God, after being swallowed by the great fish, spit up on the land, his message to Nineveh wasn't, God loves you and wants you to repent or he's going to destroy. It was, you know, your destruction is nigh. You're going to be destroyed in 45 days. It wasn't even repent. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, you are going to be destroyed. <laughs> And the king got the message, and, and he repented, and he got the people to repent. And Jonah goes up on the mountain and says, waiting for God to destroy, destroy Nineveh, who's repented, and gets mad at God because he doesn't destroy him. And he goes, I knew you wouldn't because you're a gracious God. You know, and God had to teach him a lesson. You want to talk about a prophet who has no concept of who God is, at least in the story we're given, that's Jonah. Okay, he knows God, obviously, because he knows God's graciousness. He knows God's mercy. But his message was harsh. You're going to die. <laughs> you, you all are going to die, and you deserve it. And I'm going to be up on that mountain waiting for you to die because I'm looking forward to it. People God used don't always <laughs> meet the, th the standards that we think they should meet. And this is why it's really critical for us to understand God uses sinful people in the way that he wants them to be used and it's because of his grace and it always has been because of his grace that he's used sinful people. Jonah's a great example. Balaam's a great example. I mean, if he had stopped with where we ended this, this message, you know, God's going to bless them and you're going to fall apart. Every, he would have been never heard of again and he would have been a great example of a good prophet of God. But at some point, at this point or later, he told Balak how to hurt Israel because he used his knowledge of God against Israel. And God will judge his people if you just get them to turn away from him. And how do you get them to turn away from them? You send your daughters in and get them to turn away. You know, the power that the woman has over a man is amazing at times. And scripture shows us that power. And it goes all the way back into Genesis where it says that the woman will want to have rule over the man and the man will want to have rule over the woman. And there's, the battle has been going on ever since. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have. Help us to make correct decisions and stand firm for you and, and move in the right directions. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.